DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. Paul Hurst, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, how's it going, man? How you been? Ooh, man, it's been a long time. So I haven't seen you. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before we started. Uh, it's been almost 12 years, I believe. It's been a long time um, since high school, and we both have been completely mm-hmm. different ways, different lifestyles and stuff has come back together, and it's just awesome to reconnect. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, like like before we started, I was talking about how I've stayed following, you know, on LinkedIn and Instagram here and there. I watched you do some really cool stuff, you know, and, um, you know, I've always been impressed with, with kind of like the path you've taken and you forged your own thing. Um, and I've always wanted to stay in touch. So I'm glad that we got to do this because, you know, when I come home, it's usually for a week at a time. And, you know, like we were talking before, you want to spend the time with your family and then you got all these friends and your vacation ends up becoming more of like a roadrunner thing. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited. We're getting to do this and touch base and get a little bit more in depth with what's going on in each other's lives. Well, heck yeah, man. So, uh, before we get rolling, just to pre preface everyone, basically, uh, Paul and I grew up together, uh, hung out, partied in high school and, uh, we both went completely different directions. A lot of people that we grew up with kind of stayed there, but, uh, we've done our own thing. And um, you have actually moved to New York City and become an attorney. So, mm-hmm. man, I really want to talk about that a little bit. So from, uh, I guess, the past 10 years of your life is, a, you know, I have no idea. You know, I don't know what you've been doing. So let's talk about it, man. What have you been doing since I saw you last? Well, I guess, you know, this would be a good point to give a shout out to Preston Wood. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I never would have moved here um, and done everything and been able to achieve everything if, if he, you know, never would have shot me in the eye with a paintball gun, we were kids, um, you know, so that, that kind of put me on this path of like really focusing on school. And, you know, I graduated high school, you know, like we said, last time we were really in touch was in high school and moved up here for college is one of those things where my dad, you know, gave me two suitcases and was like, you know, see you have a good time in New York. And I moved up here to a city that, um, is, is crazy in some ways because there's so much going on. There's so many opportunities, so many people that you can meet from all over the world. Uh, but it's also a city where like you can feel like very lonely. So I was, I was fortunate when I moved here for college that I met some really great friends that I'm still you know friends with today. Um, you know, went through college working, you know, that was an experience, uh, juggling those two, maintaining like the lifestyle up here. Cause it is a little bit more expensive to live up here. Um, and then law school after college and everything kind of worked out for me in ways. A lot of times when I, you know, I didn't see it coming usually like in those moments where I was most concerned about like, what am I doing here? Like I'm a pro by myself. Um, you know, there would always be something that kind of kept me going and things have fallen into place with the work that I've put in. And, uh, I'm fortunate that, you know, I've managed to stay employed through the pandemic. Um, you know, and I've, I'm an attorney. I got admitted to the bar, passed the bar exam. That was an experience that I'd never want to go through again. Uh, that was, uh, like the, the actual bar wasn't even the worst part. Like it was the two and a half, three months of studying, you know, eight to 16 hour days leading up to the bar. Um, because I knew I never wanted to take it again. I know like I wanted to take it and I wanted to pass it. Um, and if I didn't get a passing score in New York, 
that I was going to find a state that I had a passing score in that would accept my score because <laughs> it was just, it was traumatizing, <laughs> but I'm glad I did really well. You know, I passed it, got a job and I'm, I'm enjoying life right now as an attorney. I'm trying to get through that, you know, post school phase and into a career. Cause that was one thing that, um, has been interesting is, you know, cause I didn't graduate law school until I was in my thirties or like 30, 29, 30. Um, you know, so like it, I feel like I'm behind the ball in a lot of ways because, you know, a lot of our friends, like we said, are, you know, they stayed in Louisiana and they stayed working those, those jobs and some of them made really good money. And, you know, they've been working for the past 12 years. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting kind of dynamic in figuring things out. Where do I want to go next? You know, cause um, you know, do I want to keep renting in New York? Do I want to buy something? You know, cause I moved to New York cause I was like, I don't need a vehicle, yeah. you know, that, that cuts down on the expense of being somewhere. But now I'm in a position where I'm like, I would like to have a vehicle. <laughs> I would like to be able to, 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 you know, drive to upstate New York on the weekends when I have a long weekend. Cause it's beautiful. I mean, it's like back home, you know, it's giant rivers i mean up here giant rivers you know mountains you know big hills like lots of fishing lakes um you're only a few hours from canada so i mean there's there's so many things that are right at the tips of my fingers that now that i'm getting to that point where i'm like maybe i need to get a vehicle maybe i need to buy a house maybe i need to start thinking about these things and um it's it's been an interesting experience like what about you, man? Like, how's how's life been for you? Like, I know you've been doing some marketing. I've seen that you've you've been doing some, you know, that um, MMA stuff. Uh, yeah. I've seen yeah. all kinds of stuff from you lately, man. Um, uh, you know, just like you, man, just fi- trying to figure out where I fit in the gaps. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, uh, mm-hmm. spent a long time in the oil and gas industry. Realized I didn't want to do that. Got into the marketing phase. Uh, love it. Now I'm able, you know, run my own business with a few other partners. We're able to, you know you know, bob and weave and do our own thing and have a good time, help each other out. Um, the MMA thing was always a passion of mine. I never really went pro in making money doing it. And now I'm still involved with a lot of promotions and doing stuff with UFC Fight Pass. So it's fun. Um, able to still stay involved and not get hit in the face anymore. That's always, you know, fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, on the on the upside of all that, it's uh, really just being able to share people's stories like you and, um, you know, get connected. Like, it's so funny where we come from. We come from somewhere that's so small. Uh, you know, mm. people will go their whole lives and not know where that's at, you know, know anything about it in the community of um, how close knit so many different types of individuals with different backgrounds were and what we've come and grown into now. It's just just amazing to me you know what i mean i can't say it enough it's just crazy what we've you know what we've grown into and just coming from different areas and you know mending in those in that small town like that small town everyone knows everyone mentality but then getting out of it and you know getting away from it and realizing that that's not all there is to life you know yeah 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 and i I think that's the other thing that's interesting too is um because there was one point where that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted, I wanted to join the Marines. I wanted to live in small town USA and I wanted to spend my life fishing as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause that's what I grew up doing, you know, running around barefoot, living on Lake Bissonneau, fishing as much as possible. And, um, you know, like, yeah, that was a crazy thing too, is, you know, like 
it was fostered all around. Yeah, I remember showing up late to school and you know, the only question of getting asked by the principal is, well, did you catch any big ones? You know, like, uh, so it's, you know, or like I remember getting called to an assembly. I think I was in junior high school because the principal ran over a six foot rattlesnake and wanted to show everybody. Um, you know, so like it's sometimes I really miss that like small town life where everyone knows each other, everyone waves and yeah. your neighbors, you, you know, maybe not your best friend, but you know, if a tree falls down in your yard, they're there to help you lend a chainsaw or, you know, a good friend will split wood, but you know, a neighbor may just lend a chainsaw. Yeah. Uh, you know, towards like up here, like I was saying earlier, like you know, New York City has eight million people in it. You know, I don't know my neighbors at all. Yeah, you know, I've lived in buildings with thousands of people and didn't know any of them. That's insane uh, too, because like how how big is that square mileage wise? It's not very. Big. Oh, it's it's tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah. Uh, that's 8 million uh, people inside something that's under a few square miles, whereas like Dallas-Fort Worth is 7 million people in a broad area. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a lot of people. No, it's it's super, super condensed. But that's also the kind of the interesting thing, too, is like from, from where I live to work is only like five miles. Right. Um, but it takes me an hour to get there. You know, and and and, and that's... And and traffic can get pretty insane. A bit. <laughs> when when you because it's crazy how many people own cars up here. Like like I said before, there's a big reason why I moved here is there's so much public transportation that is so reliable. But I I mean it's almost impossible to find parking anywhere, much less drive during rush hour that lasts two to three hours at the beginning and end of the day. Um, it's it's been an experience. Well, um, a good one. That raises something. I just it gives me a thought too. So, how long have you been there now? Like years, years wise. I moved here in the summer of 2007. I graduated okay. high school. I went to New Mexico for a few months, um, and then came back to Louisiana, and then flew up to New York. Well, since you brought something up, that's it's, it's very interesting. Is uh, public transportation what has evolved when you move there? It was taxi, fare service, and then subway, whatever it may be now. But also what has been introduced since then is Uber, rideshare, mm-hmm. um, Lyft, things like that. How, is, how have you seen that completely change the game of uh, transportation? Um, I think it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, for instance, when I moved here, like you said, like if, if I wasn't on the subway or if I wasn't on like a city bus – uh, then I would jump in a taxi, you know, you'd stand on the street corner and hail one, but yeah. I can't tell you the last time I got into a, a yellow cat, um, which is what we call taxis. It, I, I ride Lyft, I ride Uber, there's Juno. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of them up here. Um, there are ride share apps where they're, they have specific pickup and drop off locations. So it's almost like public transportation, yeah. but it's being offered by like this private, you know, company at like a certain price it's always more expensive than public transportation but uh, it's way more comfortable yeah and it's way more accommodating in certain ways uh where i've seen it mostly would be more along the less personal side and more along the professional side uh when you're seeing things like because in order to have a taxi cab up here you can't just paint a car yellow and put some stickers on it you have to get what's called a medallion uh and 
before Uber and all these companies pushed in, I mean, this happened all over the country. Um, these medallions, I mean, you're talking like almost seven figures. Some of them are like $1.5 million. You know, people would, you know, get them and sell them. And, yeah. uh, so it's been interesting seeing these people who, you know, take, cause they don't buy them. Most of them don't buy them outright. You know, they take out loans to purchase them. Cause it's like, it's a business thing. Um, you know, watching them kind of struggle and watching the, you know, the city and the state try to address these issues of, you know, these people who are losing a significant income while simultaneously having to deal with the financial, you know, burden of taking on this type of business. Um, because there were a lot of things that like Uber and Lyft weren't having to do, like they don't have to get a medallion. Yeah. You know, so like there's, there's all these interesting competing factors that are more in the background that, you as an everyday rider really wouldn't see, uh, but you would definitely see if you were a taxi cab driver pre, you know, app ride yeah. um, requesting. Uh, so that's been kind of interesting. It, ride availability is far more available because um, that was something the city was trying to address before were the outer boroughs. Because if you're a taxi cab driver, you want to drive where – you're going to get the most clientele that are, that's just, you know, that tip you really yeah, well. It's just volume. volume. Aren't going to take, yeah. That aren't going to take you too far. So a lot of them are, you know, Manhattan or just like the skirts of the boroughs that surround Manhattan. Uh, they wouldn't go like deep into Brooklyn or deep into Queens or deep into the Bronx. Uh, so they were creating like these other types of cabs that could only pick people up in those outer parts of the boroughs. So seeing how Uber and Lyft has created a little bit more accessibility to these communities that weren't being underserved um, has been kind of interesting. But other things have happened, uh, you know, that are a little bit more pedestrian, I guess, uh, bikes. So like now you can walk up and down the sidewalks and there's these like um, kind of like stalls almost where bikes are parked. And you have like a membership where you can take a bike out and ride it to another point in the city and drop it off at that stall. Um, it's just seeing a little bit more of things like that pop up all over the city uh, to kind of give even more options as far as like cheap, affordable transportation somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just it's, it's interesting how, you know, so much has evolved in the past 10 years, you know, or even five years to what, it, you know, what it is now. And um, how people have to, I mean, you got to make do, it is what it is, you know, like, so what, I want to talk about this because we haven't at all. Um, what did you do when you first showed up to New York City in 2007, a high school graduate? What, what, what was your hustle? How did you make money before you, like, how, how did you get along through law school? Well, I think, I think I was fortunate in some ways, you know, I, I have an uncle who has really been there for me, you know, since I started this path of like, focusing on like getting an education and, yeah. and driving the career from that. Um, he was an attorney as well. He's okay. one of my father's brothers. Uh, and he had an expert witness that he became really close with from his time working in the corporate world that lived on Long Island, New York, uh, which is part of Queens. It's, it's all the same massive land piece. That's an all like one big Island. But you have Queens and then you have Long Island, which is further out, which is technically not part of New York City. Yeah. Um, and I stayed with him and that was helpful in a lot of ways because uh, he kind of helped introduce me to certain aspects of the city, like commuting and getting back and forth and 
of course I got delicious food that him and his wife made that was just it was it was coming home from the city to like an actual home really helped a lot. I think I would have been a lot more jarring moving from the village of Heflin to <laughs> an apartment building yeah. where I knew nobody. Um, but I also was fortunate that there's a, a private company up here that provides housing for anybody who's doing any kind of form of like education. Um, because a lot of, like I went to Baruch college, uh, which is a CUNY school, which is a city university of New York. Um, it's part of like the state school system okay. and they don't have housing because they're predominantly designed to provide like a college education for city people. So they don't have housing because most of their students live in New York city. Right. So there's this, so there are several schools like that. Um, and this company would provide a very similar service to living in dormitories and um, we had the money to pay for one year to live there. And then I was able to get a job working for them, which gave me free housing and also paid me a small amount of money every month. Um, and then I just kind of grew in that company as I went through college. Like I worked my way up and eventually was doing some maintenance work in one of their buildings, like a site maintenance manager. Uh, and then I quit that when I went into law school. So it was, it was fortunate in the sense that I moved here and had somewhere free to live. And then I also had like, you know, this little financial cushion to get me through one year to familiar, to like familiarize myself with the city and find a way that I could either get a job to afford the rent prices or get a job that would allow me to live somewhere for free while also making a small amount of money to live on. I was only making like $500 a month for like the first three years that I lived here. So it was, so it wasn't like, but I was living for free. So it was, you know, eating, you know, really cheaply for a number of years. (laughs) And this was, I was at college. So I was still getting those like care packages from home. You know, my mom would order things on walmart.com and she'd send me some Tony Chatteries and (laughs) some ramen and, um, yeah, so that's how I survived the first few years. And then through law school, I did a number of different things. Some of them were like paid internships with like New York City Transit in their special investigations unit. Um, I worked in the admissions office for Brooklyn Law School where I went to law school. Um, they paid me some money that helped out a lot. And, uh, and, and a lot of it was, you know, my income as far as like living expenses after college were... Um, kind of like student loans, stuff like that. Like I got a scholarship at Brooklyn Law School. So that kind of cut down on how much I had to borrow to pay for school. But that also allowed me to essentially borrow the same money. It's kind of like, you know, when someone goes shopping and they spend $300, but they buy a lot of stuff. And they're like, but it was all on sale. And it's like, (laughs) you still spent $300. Yeah. That's kind of what like the student loan situation was for me. It was like, well, it's not just to pay for school. It also helps me kind of like, supplement my income for like living situation uh you know and so now i fortunately make enough money to pay all my bills and stay on top of things and not have to like how much money do i have like what am i going to eat you know i can kind of more freely enjoy life i guess but still be conscious of like my spending uh so it's been interesting nothing nothing wild or crazy um i almost got into security 
because I had a really good friend who did security work up here. Um, and it just always seemed interesting because even events that like aren't significant, you know, when you're from where we're from are significant. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I remember he, he met like, he met like the, the sex pistols when they were playing a concert, like he did security for like MTV events. Uh, I mean, like he met all these people that you're just kind of like, wow, that's really cool. You met these people and you get like these interesting perspectives of people that you, you wouldn't get because the only perspective you're getting of them is from like, you know, news outlets or magazines or kind of like gossip columns. So like, you like I thought about doing that cause I'm like, it's New York city, you know, even working somewhere like pointless. Like I remember I went out to a bar in Greenpoint, Brooklyn one time, no clue who owned it. Guess who owned it? Bill Murray's son. Huh. Guess who was bartending the night that me and a group of friends went Bill Murray. What? You know, like the most, yeah, the most random things. <laughs> like one time I went into a bodega in Manhattan and I wanted to get a sandwich. So bodega is what they, it's like the Spanish term for like a deli on the corner yeah. that sells sandwiches and stuff um i went in and who other than gene simmons is there ordering a sandwich like here's this guy from kiss and you're just like hello sir like yeah. i don't want to i don't want to interrupt you but <laughs> those of you who are listening or watching the guy with the long tongue from kiss that's who that is <laughs> who don't know who it is <laughs> you know so so you like you, you have all these really interesting opportunities in and just like the mundane life, um, and you know when you think about doing security in a place like this, it just seemed exciting. But yeah, I never got into it. Like I, I took the classes, but um, I, you know, I, like I started making a little bit more money working for that private housing school. I worked for Stevens Institute of Technology as a what they called an area coordinator. Uh, which was kind of interesting. Another free living situation, making some money every month. Uh, so it's been kind of bouncing around. I've been fortunate that I've lived almost everywhere in New York. Like I've lived in Manhattan. I've lived in Brooklyn. I've lived in Queens. I lived in Long Island. I think I've lived in like eight different places in Manhattan. Um, where I currently live is Queens, Astoria. And it's probably the place I've lived the longest. I've lived here for the past six years. But other than that, like almost every year I was in a different apartment. Okay. Well, I mean, that's giving you perspective on the entire city and the culture. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think that's cool. You learn to live with very little because you, you learn really quick. It's not like back home where you're like, oh, I'm moving. You get your friends over with your trucks and you got places to park and you can load <laughs> things up. I mean, you're 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 double parked, so you, you also want to get the smallest vehicle possible. So most of the time I would move, I would just like throw almost everything away. I'd be like, yeah, like trying to, and then a lot of places, if it's under seven stories, they don't have elevators, you know, carrying everything up five flights of stairs in the summer in New York. When it's like, I remember I did this, it was 102 degrees. It was 92% humidity. And we were walking up five flights of unair conditioned stairs to get to the apartment on the fifth floor and it took us four, four hours to get moved in and like eight gallons of water it was <laughs> it was so you just get to a point where you're just like i'm done i'm done moving i'm not going to do it anymore um 
And if I do do it, it's going to be in a luxury high rise that has a freight <laughs> elevator. <laughs> you know, like I got to pay somebody to move my stuff from now yeah. on. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear that. Well, uh, so what type of law are you practicing? Um, so I do, it's, it can either be considered like elder law or, um, what we refer to as like mental hygiene law. Okay. So specifically I tend to do, um, guardianship proceedings. I don't know if you saw it, but, uh, you ever see that movie on Netflix that came out not too long ago? I care a lot. No, I don't, um, it or not. So it's, it's similar to that. It's essentially where there's an individual who's in the community who's vulnerable for some reason. Either they're at this age where they can't, you know, take care of what we call our activities of daily living. Um, so they can't, like, bathe themselves or they can't cook because either they physically can or they'll forget that they left the gas on. Or, um, or they have some sort of, like, intellectual or developmental disability, like... Uh, either getting older and they have like early onset Alzheimer's or dementia, or they've had some sort of, you know, de- developmental or intellectual problems since childhood. Um, <clears throat> but they don't, they no longer have an individual that's caring for them. And they don't necessarily have the legal capacity to provide consent for certain things. So I would file what's called a guardianship proceeding and ask the court based off of a certain facts of the case to appoint an individual for this person to care for them, to make decisions for them. And New York's nice because it can be very, it can be very tailored. So it's not like this person's your guardian and they make all decisions for you. It's this person only has problems managing their finances because of their memory, but they're still very physical, physically capable. Okay. You know, so we can, we can appoint someone that ensures their rent's paid to ensure that like they're, they're, you know, they have money for groceries, that their insurance is active, those types of things. Cause a lot of these people come to us because they're being evicted and they're being evicted because they can't manage their money or they're going through some sort of untreated psychosis that has like hoarding as a side effect and their landlords trying to evict them because they're being considered a nuisance based off of the condition of the apartment. Uh, so that's what I do there. And um, I also was doing some kind of um, reviews of legal instrument instruments for Medicaid applications. So people applying for Medicaid, there's tons of ways to move your money because you have to make under a certain amount of money in order to qualify, be eligible for Medicaid. So people will either do like promissory notes or like different types of trust. Um, so we were reviewing those for Medicaid eligibility to make sure that like they were eligible. And if they weren't eligible, what kind of penalties they would have to pay in order to qualify and ways that they could get around those penalties um, by entering different types of like legal, legal instruments or agreements Um so it's very focused on kind of that aspect of the population. Nothing very contentious, you know. Not we don't have like clients who want to sue McDonald's because the coffee's yeah. hot or <laughs> anything like anything like that. Generally, it's it's trying to help people who are vulnerable in the community that doesn't have like that family member, grandson, child, nephew, niece, or whatever. Yeah, that can help them. 
Um, well, I think it's very interesting too, because we hadn't spoke about this, so I had no clue. I just knew, knew that you, you know, you got in your law degree and you've been practicing law for a few years now. But it's it's interesting mm-hmm. too because people's perspective on law, an attorney is a criminal, personal, um, personal injury, or that business litigation lawyer in New York City who's fighting against another business. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's cool. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool to hear some perspective on you know you're working on behalf of the people for the especially the the ones who you know who have may have those disabilities, whatever it may be, because you don't hear those stories. So I think it's really interesting. You know, and I know you can't talk about specific cases or anything like that, but it is interesting that that hearing about people that actually represent the, those people who have those issues, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's been, it's like, it's one of those weird situations where it can be very gratifying because like what you're doing is to try and like remove this individual from, whatever situation that could be hazardous for them. Um, but at the same time, like you end up seeing some like really dark sides of humanity. Cause like not all these people are just lonely in the community with no one. Some of them are being like exploited by family members yeah. or exploited by neighbors. Um, you know, so you really see, cause it's like you read some of this stuff and you're like, like, how could they do this to this person? Like, you know, take everything essentially and have them be like financially insolvent, you know, you know, it's, it's, you see some very heartbreaking things. And sometimes, you know, you see people who really need the help, but can't comprehend that they need the help because of whatever issue they're having, whether it's some sort of psychosis, paranoia, bipolar, like, cause there are like, these are all spectrum type things. Like people can be far more severe, um, and they'll just refuse help for a number of reasons. Um, but like you just said, for instance, I had a case here recently where um, the person we were trying to do this for was very upset about how he thought this was a social problem, like the issues that he was dealing with and the help that he felt he needed. He was like, this is a social problem. But he was like, it feels like we're currently in like a lawsuit setting. Yeah, you because know, like he called me when he was served with the papers because my information is on the papers, and he was like, "Am I being sued by you know such and such my employer?" And I was like, uh, "Who are you? I can't answer that without like yeah. certain information." And once we clarified it, I was like, "No, you're not being sued. Like it's it's a it's a motion. It's an order for a hearing to make it to like reach a certain determination." And uh, he was like, well, it reads just like a lawsuit. And I think that's something that kind of speaks to what you just said is most people look at law and order and they see yeah. like these, like it's nothing like that. Like some crazy stuff does happen in court. Like you're like, Oh, <laughs> did not see that happening. Yeah. But it's, it's like the attorneys tend to be a lot more professional. Um, like, like the higher up you go. Cause in New York, the Supreme court is actually the lowest court. Um, oh, okay. And then it goes up into the appeals court. Um, most states, you know, like places like Louisiana, like the Supreme Court is the, the highest, highest court yeah. in the state. Um, um, and New York, it's not that way. Supreme Court is basically like trial court. There are smaller courts, um, like housing court isn't in Supreme Court. It's something very specific. Um, so that's been kind of interesting. It's just, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. Uh, so yeah, the Supreme court is much lower, but even at that lower level, you still have attorneys who like very, like they follow rules. Like there's no, like there's no shouting or yelling in the courtroom. Like judges won't put up with that. Like there are, you know, 
and you always know where your line of questioning is going. You know, there's something that I also kind of thought was off about watching court on TV is <laughs> like everything is like a surprise. Yeah. Most attorneys will not ask a question unless they know the answer to the question. Because your whole point of asking questions is to obtain testimony that supports your position. So if you're going to ask a question you don't know the answer to, there's a good chance, especially if it's not your witness, that you are not going to get an answer that will support your testimony. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's different in a lot of ways. And it's also interesting to see how many people are pro se litigants, so people who don't have an attorney. Um, so I do a lot of housing court stuff. I do motions in a housing court. And I, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, almost every landlord is represented by an attorney. Yeah. But most people who are being evicted, they're not represented by attorney. And most of these people aren't, you know, I mean, I've met a few who were, you know, higher educated. Um, and you're just like, you're just a crazy person. Like you could resolve this issue, yeah. but you're actively refusing not to. Um, but there are a lot of people who are just vulnerable in the community and may not necessarily have some sort of like disability of any sort, but just, you know, they grew up where, you know, there wasn't a lot of that, you know, support to get you through school and to, you know, provide you with different types of opportunities. Like their opportunities are far more limited. Um, their resources are far more limited. Um, and their responsibilities are like greater in a lot of ways, you know, and it's difficult to watch these people navigate these court proceedings where like, and in New York, it's fast. I mean, you're talking like, tens of thousands of cases a day in housing court alone uh towards like in louisiana there's not even a housing court no you know like they're they're like like a lot of things happen in one particular court like you like the criminal court is the same court as like all these other matters that get handled uh towards here there's a housing court there's a family court there's a small claims court there's a you know there are like all these different types of courts that specialize in very specific areas. Um, so it's been a learning experience for sure. Um, and I've been enjoying it thus far. I do miss home now. I miss I'm the ease of speaking. Like I'm so consciously thinking about my words right now. It's so <laughs> hard. Hey man, um, I, I understand that. I understand that. I mean, speaking to an audience, you always think about those things, especially if you know your ass is on the line for some legal proceedings or whatever. But you know, yeah. it is interesting that you said that earlier. That um, you know, that state differs so much where you can be a little more hands-on per client, like in what you have, like more of an a la carte service where it's like, you know, more specified for those individuals in support of those. Whereas in a state like this, it may not be that, you know, situation where it's one broad umbrella covers everything, which is typically sometimes not in favor of that, you know, whoever may be needing that service. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too, though, is, you know, like Kimber, for instance, we were talking about her before. Um, Shout out to Kimber. Somebody we went to high school with. Someone we went to high school with who's practicing in, in Mississippi and, and yeah. she does a lot of things like she like, you know, she she does prosecution. She does civil. She does conservatorships like she like, you know, so as an attorney, it seems like you have to wear more hats in the in, in a lot of rural places. Yeah. Whereas here you you can specialize and do really well. And, and it'd be a very niche thing, not just like, oh, I'm a civil attorney, but it's like a very niche thing in civil law. 
like mental hygiene law or like guardianship or Medicaid or trust in estates. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting. You also have like clientele, just like millions of people. Yeah. Millions and millions of people. So it's, it's always interesting kind of seeing the diversity of attorneys and their practices and kind of what influence um, their decisions in like practicing in particular areas. Um, to whereas back home, it seems to be a little bit more rounded. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting, too, you brought up um, the housing thing, because like that's been something that's been huge right over the past year and a half um, dealing with COVID Mm -hmm. and these people that, you know, are avoiding eviction or may have been protected under these eviction clauses or whatever. And then those landlords trying to battle that, you know, I mean, it's just a huge ordeal. Uh, Yeah. And and that's something I run into a lot you know, with some of the work that I do, because, you know, a lot of like I said before, a lot of the people that I deal with um, are people who are vulnerable in the community and oftentimes they're people who if evicted will be homeless. Yeah. Like there's no, they don't have anywhere else to go. They don't have the ability to make the preparations to go somewhere else. Um, you know, but like you're also dealing with, you know, someone who like, yeah, we have those landlords who have, you know, thousands of units and are making like really, really, really good money um, on rental properties. But you also have those landlords that are like, I have a two family home. Me and my family live on the second floor. We rent the, the bottom floor out. Uh, and you feel bad for those people because like, they're really dependent on that rental income uh, to pay mortgages or, you know, different things of that nature regarding like their property. So it's like, if I'm not getting paid rent, then I lose my home yep. because I use that rent to supplement my mortgage payments. Um, so you feel bad in a lot of ways, but you also kind of like, go, well, you know, you decided to get into the rental business. This is one of the risks of the rental business. But at the same time, you're like, but I feel horrible. I want to try and resolve this as quickly as possible so that everyone gets taken care of. Um, you know, so it's always interesting kind of learning how to navigate these different avenues of like give and take. And that's where a lot of the being professional comes in. Um, because you want to have a reputation with these other attorneys who represent opposing sides where like, they're more willing to work with you because, you know, you, you are a professional, you are you know kind and courteous and you are understanding. And it's, it's strange because like you're opposing parties, but you also are working toward like a common goal in so many ways. Um, and at least the area that I work in, you know, it's not necessarily the same if, you're a criminal defense attorney because you, you, you obviously don't have the same goal as a prosecutor. Right. Um, you know, cause the prosecutor is to get a conviction and to get the best conviction possible towards the defense attorney is I want to make sure my client gets either no conviction or the least, you know, like classified, you know, conviction, you know, charge, um, yeah. You know, so in, in some areas it is a lot more adversarial, but that's kind of the nice thing about the area that I work in is I do get to bring a little bit more of that, you know, Southern hospitality to the, to the table. And, and that was something that was interesting. I think you'll find this funny. When I first moved here, um, no one could understand me. And I don't think it was, and I'm not exaggerating. Like my yeah. first boss made me write everything down. It wasn't like a lengthy, it wasn't like a lengthy conversation. It would be something simple. Like, 
hey, I need to step out the office to use the bathroom real quick. And she'd be like, you know, I have no clue what you just said. And you have to write these things down. Um, I even had professors in college ask me to save my questions till after class because I just confused people. So I took like a communications course in college that focused on presentation and like speaking and pronunciation. Yeah. Um, and then when I get to law school, I have a one of my professors was a judge at Long Island and he is a corporate judge. And he was like, man, I was expecting you to have a better accent. And I was like, well, it's not one of those sweet, you know, to kill a mockingbird, <laughs> Southern Alabama accents. Aristocratic. I was like, it was, yeah, it was, it was one of those kind of mumble slash not really pronunciating words properly and accent combined that made me difficult to understand. He was like, an accent, a Southern accent is gold in the courtroom. He's like, he's like, it's been proven that people tend to be more trusting of Southern accents. And I always thought that was interesting. So like when I am in court, like before a judge, like I, I do step it up a notch. Like I purposely talk with a little bit more of an accent, um, yeah. you know, but, but it's, it's been interesting. Like I enjoy it too. Like I enjoy the, your honor, um, you know, yes, respectfully, you know, objection. It's always fun to object to stuff. And it's always like, it's always fun to like, to win an objection argument. Like when like opposing counsel objects because your line of questioning is like soliciting a hearsay like statement and you get to like argue hearsay. This is something like a particular area of law in regards to like, if, if I was questioning you about what someone told you, depending on the line of questioning and the purpose of the question, it could be considered hearsay. It's you testifying to what someone else said, um, which isn't allowable. Uh, you know, so winning those types of arguments, because there's all these like gray areas and little ways to get around them, depending on um, like the exceptions to hearsay. So stuff like that's really fun. Like I always found that it tends to be like the very minute things that I really enjoy. Yeah. You know, not necessarily like, you know, it's like accomplishing like that small thing and like, yes, I don't care what else happens after this. <laughs> well, use those warm and fuzzies, man. No, it is very interesting too, because um, getting into the inter- industry I'm in now um, and then coming out of the industry I was in before, which is, you know, just run around to, oil and gas locations and drilling rigs and just talking to people that are all from the South typically, and maybe random <laughs> yeah, yeah. individual from somewhere else. Um, and then getting into the line of the work, like just like you are where you're dealing with people from all over the, the world, all over the States, having to dial that dialect down and speak and enunciate certain, you know, words properly. <laughs> it's very interesting how you have to like watch how you say things and, but it is always funny when you get back home around those people, you may be having a drink or two and it all just comes back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, and it comes, I, that happens sometimes, even when I'm up here, just have a few drinks. Like I've gone on a few dates and I've had a few drinks and I've had them look at me and go like, you didn't sound like this a few minutes ago. Um, you know, or like when I talk to my dad on the phone too long, it comes out pretty strong then. Uh, yeah. It's so it's, but it's 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 weird in a lot of ways because I live in a place where everyone has all kinds of accents. You know, I mean, there are people from all over the world here, and you and 
it's it's always interesting having a conversation with someone where you don't understand them and they don't understand you, but you're both working to figure it out and you create like this weird bond with this complete stranger. Um, so that's always been something I've enjoyed as well. It's just the randomness of meeting people in New York, yeah. Um, yeah. which you don't really, I mean, you, you still get that back home. Like you, know, you go to a gathering of some sort and you meet a stranger you never met, but like they're, they're connected to you, you know, within a certain amount of degrees. Like it's your girlfriend's friends, like, brother sister or something like that or you know um it has been weird though being up here because back home when you meet someone in some way or another you know the same person yeah whether it's like a family member and you can always like where are you from oh, i'm from here oh i know so and so oh that's my brother or whatever you know and up here you meet someone and, like there's none of that like you can live in the same borough or even have gone to the same college. I've been like, oh, what did you did you take this class? Or did you take that class? Um, and 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 not share any of those kinds of like similarities. Yeah. No, man. It, yeah, that's. I mean, I can only imagine. I've been to. Um, I have not been to New York City, but I have been to Chicago, and um, I was floored by the um cultural diversity. But I loved it. I appreciated it. It made me realize that there's so much more than that small town, especially that was one of the biggest cities I went to early on. And I was like, man, there's so many types of people here, you know, where we're from, there's only like a few different demographics, like a handful, you know, and then larger areas like where you're at now, there's hundreds, you know, and you can't like point a, put a finger on it, but at the same time, everyone's culturally blending and living together and cohesively making everything work, which is, I love it. You know, I love it. Yeah, I mean, people, I mean, I've, I've learned about places I've never learned of before, you know, and it's just like, what, where is that? Where is that in the world? They're like, oh, it's South America. And you're like, I didn't know yeah. that was the place there, you know? Uh, so it's, it's, it's been really cool living in New York and I still do a lot of stuff. Like, I think that's one thing that I think is interesting when I talk to someone from back home is, you know, when someone thinks about New York, they instantly think about New York City. And they don't realize that although New York City does have, like, the largest population in New York, um, it's the smallest part of the state. It's almost like if someone thought of Texas and only thought of um, South Padre Islands. Yeah. You know, it's like that's the tiniest part of Texas um, because there's, I mean, I, we go fly fishing, camping, hiking, um, you know, river fishing a lot because you have know, this big river that comes all a block from the river. And sometimes I just walk over and cast the line out and see whatever I catch. That sometimes I don't catch anything. Sometimes I catch a lot of stuff. It's so uh, it's it's kind of nice blending the two like halves of my life together in New York. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I miss the food. I miss it so bad. <laughs> I miss it. Well, I mean, I feel like you, I mean, I guess you, the Southern part of the food, but I mean, man, you're privy to so much, you know, so many different types of food there. I'm sure you've tried everything by now. It becomes overwhelming sometimes, especially like the ease of access of everything. You know, like I talk to my dad and he'll be like, oh, I forgot to go to the grocery store on the way home. You know, I don't really want to drive back out of the house this weekend, you know, cause I just drove. Yeah. You know, an hour and a half to work on the interstate where you can do 70 miles an hour, you know, each way every day this week. Whereas up here, 
I can open my phone and go on Seamless, and there's thousands of restaurants that will yeah. deliver to me in 40 minutes. Yeah, that's like in everything, like you just said, like Thai food, Peruvian food, Spanish food of all kinds. Like, and it's 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 just like so immediate access that it, it's going to be weird if I ever move out of the city <laughs> and live somewhere where I can't immediately do that. Um, but I've noticed that's that's something that's very different that. Uh, I never imagined kind of thinking about these small things, uh, you know, growing up in Louisiana. Yeah. Well, what's the uh, number one, like, small southern dish you miss, miss from here? Uh, country fried chicken. <laughs> country fried steak. Country <laughs> fried steak. All right. Country fried uh, steak with, like, sausage, sausage gravy, mashed potatoes. I miss, and, like, the best place that ever made it was uh, Mom's Diner over there. Oh, man, that place. Um, we used to go there drunk at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that like I I still I still daydream about that chicken fried steak. I like the woman that was behind there on that stove just knew how to do it. Like it was just perfect. Man, that place is <clears throat> it, it disappeared a few years ago, but man, I remember us going in there and biscuits and gravy and chicken fried steak and whew, about two AM. <laughs> Probably was only like ten bucks too. Well, that's like the other crazy thing too, is I go home and things have changed a lot and mm -hmm. they're very noticeable changes, but I also live in a city where things change every day. Mm -hmm. Like I can look out the window and see seven high rises that weren't there five years ago, Yeah, but the city doesn't feel like it's changed. If that makes sense. Like yeah, makes sense. the skyline has changed, but like it still has this very New York city towards I go home and just all these places that you have all these memories tied to are gone or like there's something else and, or they're just not as good as they used to be. And it, it gives you this completely different feeling of home. Yeah. And I always, I always felt that was interesting to live somewhere where things change so rapidly. You don't notice the changes to go back home to a place where things change very seldom, but when they do, it's extremely right. noticeable. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's there's been constant kinds of things like that that are like culture shocks in a lot of ways. Uh, I remember I used to get lost all the time in the city because the buildings are so tall and, and they all would look so similar. And you, you haven't developed that kind of navigation of like landmarks. Where am I right now? It's interesting. I use north, south, east and west here yeah. more than I did growing up in Louisiana. When people were like, which way do we go? Like you had north. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, which way is north? Well, if you're walking on these streets, you know you're going north. If you're walking on these streets, you know you're going east or west or something of that nature. If you if you see that building, uh, <laughs> so it's so strange to have, like, these other terms of referring to directions here. Which was back home, it's like two bridges and a right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After you cross the second bridge, you take a right. <laughs> about that old house over there on the corner by the old tree, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's interesting how much has changed in the past, you know, ten years with um everything that you know we've we've experienced culturally and professionally and you know and personally and then you know te technologically and then you know the recent pandemic and all this has just been crazy. But um, other than that, man, how how is everything? Like overall, you're happy, good spot, everything's going well. I mean, I. <laughs> I'm as happy as I could be now. I do have, of course, like those um, goals or objectives, you know, that I'm aspiring to that I think will make my life better. Yeah. Uh, you know, a big one right now is figuring out if I want to buy a house, buy something in the city 
or buy because right now, for instance, I live in a two bedroom apartment that's maybe just under six hundred square feet. Oh. I pay sixteen hundred dollars a month just in rent. That's not gas, electric. That's not internet. It's none of you know any of those things. And this is considered dirt cheap. Okay. Um, you know, I know studios that are the same size and square footage, but no bedrooms, just a studio that go for twenty four hundred a month. And, and that's considered like a good average yeah. um, price. You know, so towards I could buy something and have a mortgage that will be sixteen hundred dollars uh, or eighteen hundred dollars so, you know, somewhere in there, depending on the size of what I buy. But you, know, you still have a very similar space amount. You know, so it's like, do I buy in the city or do I buy somewhere where I know I'll really enjoy, but I'll have a longer commute, like you know, somewhere up out, you know, outside the city, you know, upstate a little bit next to like a, a lake or a river or something. Um, you know, so there are things like that that I would love to happen. And like if they were current right now, I would probably like feel better about certain aspects of my life, you know, like not throwing away $1,600 a month, yeah. for, you know, because yeah, it's, it's not building equity. Like I get, you know, owning something, take on a lot of these other responsibilities. You know, if something breaks right now, my landlord fixes it. I don't have to have like homeowners insurance or anything like that, you know? So, but it's like, I could be building equity right now. And if I buy something in the city and five years decide to move out the city, it would be extremely easy to rent it out. Yeah. Uh, so there's different things like that, that I would love to ha- like see happen, kind of move forward in my life in that regard. Um, as far as work, I enjoy what I do, but it's, it's very straightforward. It's not interesting in the way that I would like it to be. I would like to be doing legal work that has more questions about interpreting like what the law means and how it applies to like the particular fact pattern that I'm dealing with. Like those gray areas of law. Uh, Cause those are cool areas of law where like the decision in the courtroom, especially if it's a, a gray area of law, like that becomes a standard that other cases are measured by, especially the further up in the court system it goes, it becomes more and more ingrained in the legal practice. Yeah. Towards what I, na- what I do now is very kind of um, formulaic, I guess. Like it's just a, there's no question about the law and how it's applicable and, like, it's very clear what you need to do. Like, it's really just plug and play for a lot of um, a lot of the cases. So I would love to do something like that. I've looked into jobs working for, like, the attorney general because I thought that would be interesting, doing, like, regulatory work um, because there are a lot more questions about what exactly did the government mean when they said A, B, and C, uh, and, and being the attorney that answers those questions. Um because I have a lot of friends who are doing really exciting things that, because that's kind of like my creative outlet, you know, like being able to articulate an argument that, you know, supports my position in regards to like a particular aspect of the law. You know, I have friends that, you know, like I have a friend who just started working for a startup who's the creative design director. And she's talking about like all the freedom she now has to make these different decisions and like this company's branding and like it's like, you know, because, you know, the company, of course, already has its own kind of like um, position and statement. It's, you know, logo or whatever. But yeah. she's getting ways of expressing that and getting the message across 
And I, and I find that really inspiring, you know, to see friends doing this in different areas of their life. I have friends that are really big into the film industry in New York and kind of listening to the, like their collaboration and working on their different projects and stuff. So I would really like to tap into that side of things. And I think that would be exciting and not necessarily make me happier than I am, but kind of stimulate me in more ways yeah. to be more collaborative working, like to collaborate with attorneys on those types of problems and have those types of like debates um, that kind of, you know, force you to think about things in ways that may be a little bit more unique than someone else. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I'm, you know, I'm doing good. Like I, like I feel good about where I am. Like I finally got somewhere and I think that's the, that's what I'm dealing with now. Right. Is, Got there, and I would have objective. Right, right. You know, the objective has been achieved, and the objective was go to college, get into law school, become an attorney. And now it's like, what is you know, what is my next big objective? Like, what am I going to take on next? It's going to take me several years to achieve, uh, because that's kind of the problem right now that I'm dealing with is I don't really have that, and I'm trying to figure out what it is and do I want it to be something personal or do I want it to be something professional or can I figure out a way to merge those two? Like they just legalized recreational marijuana in New York. And that's exciting for me because they're currently drafting all of the laws and regulations and policies and procedures on that. And I'm like, that would be a great area to get into, especially now that the federal government's talking about legalizing it. Cause if you can get in on those ground floors and be a part of kind of like the foundation of, you know, those legal positions, it, it really opens a lot of doors for you. Whereas what I do now is it's something that's been around. It's always going to be around. It'll change here and there based off of who's elected and like what their platform is and their like how they believe they can achieve the, the objective they want to achieve best. Uh, so I think it would be cool to get into like those kinds of areas because you, that's, Another area where you, you can have a lot of branches, you, know, you can really be cooperative in the way that you practice and make income, I guess, is the best way to say it. You, know, you can participate beyond just being yeah. an attorney in the field. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you exciting can, to you be, be able a to get business partner. To get in something on the ground level and be, you know, a good, be involved in something that can be referenced later on. It gives you, uh, I mean, a more fulfilling purpose instead of just, you know, taking the steps and doing the same things. I get it. I understand because I mean, a lot of us get in caught, caught up in the motions of doing the same things all the time. And even though it is very important and serves a purpose, it doesn't may not, you know, have that self-fulfillment, you know, that you're looking for, but it still is exciting that you're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That ability to look back and say, like, I, like I, I started that I created that, yeah. um, especially if it's something that, um, in, in a lot of ways can fund. Cause I, I, I think that's interesting too, is just and I, like, it's like one of those things where you hate to say it, but you also like, it's just part of life as an adult, I guess, is figuring out ways to take what you enjoy doing and having that be what supports you as well. You know, like to make something work, not work, I guess, you know, yeah. like, like the Alan Jackson song, if I can make a living out of loving you, yeah. I'd, be, you know, I'd be a millionaire in a day or two. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of, I guess, is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that thing that can be the next project, the next objective of my life. 
that will also be something that I can make a lot of money while loving what I do. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's just like, like I said before, like you, know, a lot of people I know are doing really cool and interesting things and having that kind of financial backing of my own would allow me to get involved in their projects and, and kind of be a part of like, you know, making their kind of dreams come to fruition. Um, and I enjoy that. I enjoy, even if it's just being a connector of people um, yeah. and like watching that kind of blossom. Like, I think that's cool to, you know, to participate in yeah, those ways. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's something that has changed a lot about moving up here is kind of like just perspective on like life and people and like who we are and who they are. Like it's, it's been exciting, man. It's been exciting. And like a, getting to see you and talk to you and see how much you've grown and see how much you've changed and kind of, you know, participating in this because it's something that you're passionate about. Like I was super stoked when you asked me, um, yeah, I was also in the back of my mind, like, ha, I'm going to be on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, because I watch, like, Joe Rogan. Like, <laughs> I watch Joe Rogan all the time. I'm like, man, I would love to be on a podcast. Yeah. It looks like so much fun. Um, because he, like, it's just, I think he's a funny guy, and I think yeah. he has a great guest on. I think they talk about great stuff. And, you know, I was really excited to participate in this with you and, and, and also get to catch up with you and kind of, because that's something else now that I'm out of law school and I, you know, I'm not I'm not splitting my time between going to school at night and working during the day full time, like because I didn't really have time for people. You know, I barely had time for the person I was dating then, and like it really put a lot of strain on our relationship. Like having to devote so much time to law school, um, you know, because I'd wake up in the morning, go to work, work eight hours, leave work, go to school, and I'd get home, you know, at eleven o'clock at night and she'd be like i want to catch up and i'm like yeah. I, i'm tired yeah um you know so i'm trying to do that like that's one of like the smaller objectives i guess that i'm trying to do now to kind of brighten my life a little bit you know is is to stay connected to people from my past and like figure out how i can participate in their lives that's you know constructive and and also like you know because you being where we're from, you oftentimes get in those conversations that aren't really about anything. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I, it's the thing. It's the, it's the, it's something you realize when you get out of that bubble that if people only talk about people, then there's never any growth. There's never any structure. There's never any intercultural mingling. There's never anything productive out of it because we can't get out of our own box. So right. it's, always so exciting to actually have conversation with meaning and saying that could be anything, but like not just talking about who so-and-so was with, you know, wherever the other day, you like, that's what let's, if my, I'm, I hate small talk. Like I love that when I do these podcasts, I've realized that we are talking about something meaningful. When we have these conversations, right. people can relate to them and we're not talking about bullshit. Like we're having meaningful conversation that hopefully structurally grows into something other than mm -hmm. just saying what so-and-so is doing with so, you know what I mean? It's just, it's so great that you said that it excites the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause it's, it's something that I've, I've run into a lot here, you know, cause you have your perspective and your perspective is based off of your life experiences. And, and, and you know, I guess it could also be something that you just realize as you get older that you can like, cause there've been so many situations where like, 
you know, I'd be interacting with someone or not interacting with them. And later we would touch base and we realize how different we experienced the same situation, you know, and, and, and it kind of opens your eyes to like, you know, someone else's perspective and like, why do they have that perspective? And what is it like? It kind of creates this curiosity about this other person, which then, you know, if you're doing the right things drives on to, getting to know them and developing a relationship where it's like, you know, the kind of questions you're asking, like, what are your goals? Like, what are your aspirations? And, and then, and then figuring out how you can participate in those, whether directly or indirectly, um, because it's really cool to like watch someone achieve something um, and, and to be a small part of that, yeah. even if, it, even if it's just the, just knowing it, you know, like, so I don't know if it's just getting older, you know, like, yeah, I, I think I it's everything, man. I think it's a mix of, um, yeah, I, I think it's a mix of being exposed to more and keeping an open mind because it's like what we're dealing with now and not to even get, I'm not even talking about politics, but the fact that if someone says something and someone runs with it without doing any investigation or we're not sitting down and having conversation, we're not talking about, just like you said, your perspective is different than mine because we view them differently because we have different backgrounds and we grew up and did this way and we perceive something this way. So right, right. we can sit down and have a conversation about it without someone attacking the other one. We can't get any resolve out of it. Well, I think it's, I think it's also part of just realizing that there are very few objective truths in the world and that, you know, oftentimes we speak now, as if our opinion is the truth, but it's like, it's your subjective truth. And like your position is your position. And I'm not saying you're wrong, right. um, but I'm saying that someone else can have a different position and it doesn't necessarily make them wrong. And, and the conversation should be about understanding why you have these different perspectives, not necessarily, you know, well, mine's right and yours wrong. And that's exactly. the basis of our conversation exactly. uh, is to try and either convert someone or just, you know, tell them they're stupid and they're yeah. wrong yeah. Uh, because it doesn't drive the conversation anywhere. Like you just said, it doesn't create this kind of collaboration and communication that alters your perspective. And sometimes it can be hard. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I like moving up here, you, you end up interacting with like, I'm not very religious, but you end up interacting with a lot of people that require you to step out of your comfort zone and really appreciate them and, and, and understand like their position and where they come from, because it's like, you don't get the diversity in religion up here that you get back home in Louisiana. No, home no, Louisiana. not at all. Like, not at all. Like everyone I grew up with was pretty much a Baptist or a Pentecostal. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and up here you, and it opens your eyes because you learn to appreciate a lot of these people because you, and, and see like what's beautiful about them. Um, because you, there is a lot of kind of, you know, again, not to touch on any kind of thing specific. There is a lot of demonizing of like yeah. perspectives in the world, and 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 that's one thing I try to do, kind of along the what you said, like maybe not necessarily investigate, but just try to understand and appreciate, yeah, and I kind think, of go. I think that's, that's what the, you want, and that's cool, you know. I think that's the missing unit, right? We always find everything that's different and strange and something we're not used to so exotic and so attractive. Right. But mm -hmm. our first instinct is to push away from that. You know what I mean? And so 
my goal here is just to to just bring it all together and let's talk about it and figure it out. You know, if you don't like it, cool, but let's at least have a conversation about it and not even anything particular, but it's just so awesome to see um, someone that comes from the same roots as me grow outside and have so much broad perspective on things. And that's why I was so excited about having this, you know, show today. I was like, man, we gotta, we gotta catch up, but I can't wait to just unravel these layers and see what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's something I think about too, you know, cause a lot of the times I kind of attribute like, I guess my approach to my perspective to my dad, um, you know, cause he's a very different person than what he used to be when I was younger. Um, or maybe I just, I've, I've come to understand him and appreciate him in different ways now, but he's always been very much this kind of live and let live kind of love and let love kind of person. And I think I got a lot of that from him. Yeah. Uh, and like, I've never really identified with any particular group of people. Um, I've always been someone who, wants to be many things uh, which is why like i have like this horrible sense of like style because yeah, i have friends who are like very hard punk rockers like we hang out all the time we listen to a lot of the same music but they wear that like heavy leather black like they're very like very you know new york city punk rock man and or you know i have some friends who are very hipster you know williamsburg brooklyn hipster to the fullest um there's no mistaking their identity because they like are so I guess extrovert with it in regards to like how they style themselves. But I've always kind of been someone that felt like I never wanted to identify too much because I felt like I would be isolating, which is why, you know, I loved having friends like, you know, the Kenzie's man. I, oh, like man, I loved yeah. going fishing with them, hanging out with them. Um, you know, and, and because where we grew up, like, I remember when I was younger, I mean, it was a lot worse than it is now, even though now it's not the best, you know, but like there still is a lot of kind of like that old South mentality. You still hear a lot of language that like now when I go home, I'm like, oh, I haven't heard that word. Yeah, there's a lot of racial divide and there still is that, but it's it's gotten so much better. But I can completely agree with that, man, what it's you know, what we experienced and to what it is now. Yeah, it's like I'm not going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to. I'm going to get to know these people. I'm going to get to, you know, experience it. Like I did a Christmas up here with one of my fraternity brothers um, who's from Trinidad. And that was, you know, cause I grew up in the South where Christmas was, you know, a Christmas ham, mashed yeah. potatoes, you know, green bean casserole, like these very like Americanized holiday meals. Uh, and it was a completely different experience, completely yeah. different food, food I've never had before. And like just the atmosphere, like they were like, I mean, you know, like we have family over, but this was like, this was like extended family. Like it was a really cool experience and just being like, feeling like all the love, like it was really, it was really eye opening in a lot of ways. It kind of made me, you know, I like my ex was, her family's very Italian. They had like fish on Christmas, Um, you know, so like it was, it was always interesting getting to meet these different people who like really identified with like their cultural background and like their family really identified with it. Like they were very proud of it and, and not being that, you know, cause that was like the first question I got asked a lot when I moved up here that I never got asked back home, which was, you know, where are you like, where are you from? And up here, that means like, where's your family from? Cause most yeah. people aren't, you know, like my family's 18th generation American. Most people aren't that up here. Most of them are second, first, yeah. some of them are third. 
you know, so they're not very, like, they're very new. Like, there aren't a lot of people whose family came over on, like, a boat into New York City. Um, so it's always been kind of interesting. And I've never been asked that before, because back home, no one cares where you're from. Yeah. Because mostly they know where you're from. You, 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 you were, grew up down the road from me since you were two years old. Um, you know, so that was kind of interesting, you know, being asked that question. So I didn't know how to answer. I was like, from here, America? Uh, <laughs> Louisiana specifically, I don't, I don't know what to say to you. Um, but it's, it's been a whirlwind of experiences and people, uh, as far as just everything, food, um, culture. I mean, I like, I got to go to, you know, things I only saw in movies as a kid. Like I got to go to a basement party in a cramped basement in Brooklyn where I was probably the only white guy holding on to a pipe with this DJ crammed into the corner and everyone just going crazy. And they're just like, never thought this would happen in my life. Yeah. Compared, yeah, to, I would uh, be doing compared to right next to like this snow around a fire with about 20 of us <laughs> drinking natural. Yeah. Screw it. Hey, watch this. Uh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's the cool thing too is when people find like where we're from curious like when yeah. I tell people yeah I eat frog legs I eat squirrel and I've had possum alligator you know like they're like what really oh what, what like getting to share those things and kind of relive a lot of the memories from when we were kids like it's very different you know I tell people all the time up here I'm like it's it's a completely different world like there's so many times where I feel like if it's the same situation happened in like a major metropolitan area uh, i would definitely have some legal issues yeah <laughs> um it's where it's like back home back home everyone was a little bit more understanding because they knew your dad you know like the first time i got in trouble for trespassing on some railroad tracks he the you know the sheriff drove me to his house and yeah. his wife fed me milk and cookies until my parents came to pick me up um <laughs> you know and and like when they came and picked me up, you know, I pulled up my shirt and I was like, look what I did. Cause I, I was convinced by some friends to put a fishing hook through my nipple, you know, like <laughs> doing weird things like that as a kid. And you tell people that, that up here, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just look at you like you're crazy. Um, it's been some, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things we've done. We can't talk about, <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, yeah. no, man. I mean, but we also had a lot of, a good time yeah yeah we did i remember the deer lease hangouts you know the i remember when you had that little place just outside sibley that we hung out you know and had some drinks and caught up like yeah you know like every it was it was a good time and i, I feel like that's where we were fortunate growing up like when i look at people who are older than us like i feel like we had like this really weird group of people who are all very different yeah um you know, they were into very different things. I mean, like, I remember when I initially met Justin Kemp, like, I wasn't listening to, like, Godsmack or, you know, Metallica. Three Days Grace or Metallica or, um, I think he's the one who introduced me to, um, what's that, uh, rock band that plays Ariel? Um, uh, System of a Down. Uh, System of a Down. Yeah, like, you know, like, where I, where I grew up and the people I grew up with, like, we listened to, like, Conway Twitty, yeah. like, yeah. Know, Hank Williams, like, Hank Williams Jr., you know, just a swinging, you know, just these yeah. weird <laughs> country music, you know, pumpkins that 
Yeah, but like it was so strange how we all just seemed to like really get along and click and 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 yeah, I didn't really learn to appreciate that until I was older. Yeah. Um Yeah, but I miss I miss you know going on mud riding and hanging out on the lake or the bonfires, running yo yos, trout lines. Um and just, you know, taking it easy. Sometimes, you know, it's nice to have a conversation about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> and just sit there. You know, like that's that's pretty much what I do with my papa every time I go home because he's he's old as dirt now and can't hear half of what you say. So you're just like, that's a nice tree. And he's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's that's the conversation. You just sit there and look at a tree together. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, know, it, uh, it's the diversity is uh, something that you, you learn to respect as you grow older. But the, the, the simple things that we took for granted now are something that we, you know, that we reflect on, which is always exciting. Um, and it's, it's cool now to have those conversations with someone you experienced it with instead of just someone that you really didn't connect with, you know what I mean? In those situations. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Cause uh, oftentimes like they remember stuff and you're like, yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didnn't know that. Yeah. 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 Well, look, man, it's been fun. Um, want to wrap this. Yes, sir. For people, you know, I don't, I don't like to go too long, but I feel like we need to have another one soon. I'd like to reconnect with you soon and see how everything's going, man. But um, it's been really exciting. Shout out to everyone who may be tuning in who haven't seen us in a while. <laughs> I'm excited to yeah, yeah. back on this for sure, man. But um, man, I just hope everything goes well. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for what you're doing over there. Um, I hope to visit you soon, hopefully, as these um travel things line out with what's going on and you know our nation right now mm-hmm. that I can come see you guys soon and we can have a drink or two yeah man you i mean that's what i tell people all the time I'm like you have a free place to stay in new york city where the average hotel is like 300 plus a night so it's Look, like man i will be the guy to take you up on that for sure this is not talk i will come see you soon that's for sure I'm looking forward to it. And I, and again, I'm also looking forward to, you know, catching up again, even if, you know, it's not on the podcast, I'd love to stay in touch and, um, you know, in the future, if there's ever an opportunity for us to work together professionally, that'd be amazing. But if, you know, we can just keep the, the personal conversations and, you know, these types of, you know, interactions up, like, I think that would be, it would be a great, a great experience, like, you know, moving forward. Heck yeah, man. Well, Everyone, thanks for tuning to the podcast. Paul Hurst, great to see you, sir. And we'll catch you on the next one.